singers and musicians. And we appreciate that good singing this morning. It's good to see everyone. Glad that you're here. And uh, you, you were expecting, of course, uh, Ed Hoagland, who was supposed to be with us this morning. He was flying in from Mexico City, Mexico, and he got stuck in Charlotte. And so I found out about an hour and a half ago, or about an hour ago. So uh, he's not going to be with us, and we may be able to reschedule him. He's just going to be in about three or four weeks, though, so we may not get to reschedule him. But it's, uh, uh, we'll, we'll miss him, because he, he's a great speaker and a great preacher, and we'll look forward to having him back another time. By the way, I saw out there uh, Chase Robertson. Chase not only was a part of our church family, but he served in the tech ministry and so forth, and then he moved away to Alabama. People shouldn't move away to Alabama, should they? <laughs> but he's back right now uh, for, for now. So we're glad to, glad to have him with us this morning. Amen. Well, I was thinking about preaching something on prophecy for next Christmas, but I decided it's coming this morning. So turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I think it's on the PowerPoint up there. I think I put it on there uh, this morning just a few minutes ago. And Isaiah chapter 7, when we see it, it will be very familiar to you if you don't already know uh, what it is. That great passage on uh, the virgin birth, the great prophecy. So we're going to talk about, you know, we talked the last two weeks about the person of Christmas, so today we're going to look at the prophecies of Christmas. And I'm kind of maybe trying to put a lot in here, so I have to move rather quickly. But look at uh, verse 14 of Isaiah 7. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was written about 730, 40 years before the coming of Christ. And then, of course, we have the, the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 1. We'll look at that in just a few moments. The prophecies of Christmas. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you, thank you for what Christmas means. That, Lord Jesus, you came that you might go to a cross and pay for our sin. For that, we're so grateful. Speak to us this morning as we think about the prophecies. We think in wonder about your word and how you told that things were going to happen before they happened. And uh, what a marvelous God you are and your, your book is marvelous. We praise you for it. Speak to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dr. Lee Tan tells a story about a little girl named Nellie. Nellie was extremely poor, and she, uh, one Christmas Eve, was walking downtown where she and her grandmother lived and looking in the uh, shop windows at all the lights and all the presents and so forth, and uh, 
she was looking at particularly at baby dolls when she could find them in the store windows. And she saw one that uh, the eyes roll back when you lay it over, you know, you've seen those. And uh, so she was looking at the lights and, and moving through the downtown area and there was a lot of people and a lot of excitement and people buying gifts and so forth. She was looking in this one store window where there was a nativity scene and she was staring at the nativity and, uh, and the store owner came out and told her in a gruff voice to get away from his store because he thought she maybe would keep buying customers away because of her clothing and because she wasn't as clean as maybe some of the others. <clears throat> and so she ran away down the street afraid of the, the man who scared her so. And uh, then he tells, as the story goes, she goes to this attic where her grandmother is already sound asleep. And in a poetic fashion, he tells that the sleep is the only thing they don't have to pay for. So it's the only thing they really have and they would sleep to forgive their, I mean, to forget their uh, hardships and the fact that they didn't have anything for Christmas, anything new or any decorations or any gifts or any food or anything like that. And then he says, and I quote now, Nellie soon found refuge in sleep as well. She dreamed that she purchased a doll in the shop with a beautiful that beautiful doll with the rolling eyes and the wide eyelashes. And it was her very own. Then he says, is there a Nellie in your neighborhood? I bet there is. You can find a way to bless them during Christmas. Do you know we took up in our birthday offering for Christ, we took up over $8,000. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, praise the Lord. And you gave. You were faithful in that. Now, we helped some families, just like you and I, families that maybe had financial crisis because of a, a sickness or being out of work or something like that. But some of the families we helped were families like Nellie's family. And we'll have some details on those stories coming up. It's still all in the process right now, you know. And you did that. God bless you for your giving this year. Christmas. The prophecy. Now this is only one of many prophecies in the book of Isaiah. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that tell about the first coming of Christ. There's over 2,100 that tell about his second coming. Let's just thumb through a few passages and look at some of them. We have the one in front of us here is, is, uh, is the verse 14 of chapter 7 about the virgin birth. If you turn over two pages, you turn with me. I'm going to turn there so you can, you've got time to turn with me if you'd like. Chapter 9, in verse 6, we read that the last two weeks. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now, 
move forward into verse, I mean, to chapter 53, and we see a prophecy concerning Christ and his blood atonement. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a prophecy concerning the, the atonement on the cross. Jesus paid the price for us. Back up just a couple of pages, chapter 50, and notice, we're noticing the details in these, some of these passages. Look at uh, chapter 50 and verse 6. Chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting if you read the gospel message the gospel the gospels of Christ you see that the smiting and the hitting and the spitting and so forth in uh, in all four gospels and then turn over one more and turn over towards the end to chapter 66 and we see one about the second coming actually it's about the millennial kingdom but again I, we're just thinking about prophecy Look at uh, verse uh, 25 of chapter 65. It's actually 65, gentlemen. Back there in the back, I may have put 66 on there. I think I did. It's 65, 25. It says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt. That is, the serpent or a lion or anything else will hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. There's coming a time when the sheep and a lion will lay down together and a child will, can play with a snake, poisonous snake, but it'll no longer be poisonous or harmful or strike. And so these are just some details of prophecy. Now, our text this morning is about the prophecy with the virgin birth. Turn over to chapter, uh, 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 Matthew chapter 1 with me. Turn over there with me and let's read that fulfillment of that passage. The angel has already spoken to Mary. Mary's already conceived. And now we pick up the story in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph or engaged or, or really that's a stronger word than engagement in our day uh, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit then Joseph her husband being a just man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privately he was going to divorce her privately 
not make a big deal out of it. So obviously he didn't believe her. He didn't believe her when she said the angel spoke and the Holy Spirit came upon her and so forth, that he was a good man and didn't want to hurt her, make a spectacle out of it. So he was going to put her away privately. Verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for uh, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen? I'm glad he saves us from our sins. Now, here's the application to the prophetic verse that we started out with. Now, all these things were done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. By the way, here's just a little nugget on inspiration of the scripture. It was spoken by the Lord, uh, or of the Lord, by the prophet. Isn't that a beautiful, simple explanation of the, of the uh, inspiration of scripture? God spoke it, but he spoke it through Isaiah, his servant. And here's what he spoke, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Here's the fulfillment of that. Sometimes people point out that the Old Testament word for virgin there can be translated a young maid, and that's true. But when you come to the fulfillment in the New Testament... The Greek word used here can mean nothing. It can't be translated any other way but our word, our English word, virgin. And so it means exactly what you and I read it to mean, that she was a virgin. And then verse 24 says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel had, uh, of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Now this is important. It says he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. <coughs> Excuse me. That is, he, he, he knew her not sexually. She was still a virgin when she gave birth. But it doesn't say she continued on being a virgin. It says she was a virgin till, till she gave birth. We know that Jesus had some brothers and sisters that were all born just like you and I were born. And uh, so uh, she was a virgin until Jesus was born. And then notice they called his name Jesus. What a name. Amen? What a name. So we're thinking about the details of prophecy. Look at your screen for a moment. And uh, the details are miraculous. Now, it's hard to wrap your hand, head around so many of them. I'm going to throw some of them out there for you just quickly. He would be from the tribe of Judah, heir to the throne of David, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. The slaughter of the innocent is foretold in Jeremiah. Flight to Egypt, Hosea, and preceded by a forerunner, Malachi and declared to be the Son of God. And then uh, he tells about his Galilean ministry right here in 
Isaiah, healing the brokenhearted, rejected by his own, triumphant entry, even mentions the donkey that he came into Jerusalem on. And then uh, betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's pretty specific, isn't it? And, uh, and spit upon, uh, we just read that one, crucified with criminals and uh, pierced through his hands and his feet uh, and then scorned and mocked. And the soldiers gambled for his coat and no bones were broken. Wow, at the details of, of the prophecies of Christmas, the prophecies of Christ. And his uh, side was pierced. He was bruised or buried among the rich. He was to be resurrected and ascended to God's right hand. Now, I think I showed you just now 12 prophecies. Just 12 out of 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. And, and many of them with great, great detail. Miraculous detail. So, we think about then that prophecy and its details. And then I want you to think about the weight of having 300 of those. The weight of what that means. Dr. Jeremiah told about an article that he came across in the uh, New York Times and uh, that was trying to get people to see how big a number one trillion is. And so he took this article from the Times and put it into one of his books and uh, it goes uh, like this to try to understand how large that number is if you could turn every number into a second and then go backwards how far would you go back you'll see it I think in just a moment here's here's the way I laid it out for you one million if you if you had one million seconds Okay, one million seconds, that, would, that amount of time would go back in time 12 days. So you'd use up a million seconds in 12 days. Now if you had one billion seconds, that would go back in time 30 years. Well, that's a big difference, isn't it? 12 days and 30 years. But if you have a trillion seconds, a trillion seconds would put you back 32,000 years. Think how much bigger a trillion is than a billion. I mean, there's, there's no comparison. As numbers get bigger, they're just hard for us to comprehend. And so this, this helps us a little bit comprehend how big a trillion is. Now, when we think about prophecy, and we apply some of these principles to prophecy, there was a scientist by the name of Stone, Peter Stoner, and he wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. And the American Scientific Affiliation said this about his book, and this is in the cover of his book, and, and this is a quote. 
it says about the book, it is dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. The mathematical analysis included is based on principles of probability which are thoroughly sound and Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. So here's what he says in his book about the prophecies of Christ. According to the modern science of probability, if you take eight of those prophecies, we just, we just looked at 12 of them, but if you take eight of those prophecies concerning Christ out of the 300 that's in the Bible, and you, you think about the probability of, of one man hundreds of years later. Some of those prophecies was a thousand years before the coming of Christ, and some, the one in Genesis, of course, from the very time of creation. Many of them were seven, six, seven, and eight hundred years before the time of Christ. But if, if one man comes hundreds, hundreds of years later and fulfilled eight of those prophecies, the probability is one in ten to the seventeenth power. That is one in that number. And remember, a trillion had twelve zeros. That number has, what, 3, 9, 12, a bunch. That's just eight of the prophecies. I don't think those prophecies just happened to, to be fulfilled, do you? I don't think it was just blind luck that those prophecies came to pass the way God said they would. But wait a minute, a little more. If you take 48 of those prophecies, we looked at 24, if you just double that and, and look at 48 out of the 300, the probability is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That means there was 157 zeros after that number. And that number looks like this. That's a lot of zeros. In other words, God's prophecy was correct and right in every detail. And the likelihood that Jesus just happened to fulfill prophecies is ludicrous. That's 48 prophecies. There's over 300 concerning his first coming. Think how astronomical that number would be. And so... God foretold the coming of his son and he came in the exact way in which God foretold it. And that, of course, speaks to the inspiration of scripture. So you have then the details are miraculous. The weight is overwhelming, pretty overwhelming, isn't it? That weight of evidence. So you kindly draw the conclusion like this. The evidence is convincing to an honest heart. Now, a lot of people don't want to be saved. Uh, Jesus said in, in John 3 that people don't come to the light because they want. They love their darkness. They don't, want to, they don't want to live differently. And they don't want to come to Christ and turn from their sin. And so they, they prefer their sin. But some people 
would be open to receiving Christ. Maybe someone here is like that today, or maybe there'll be somebody in the second service or somebody watching online in the second service. It's convincing to those who have an honest heart. Be sure you have an honest heart to consider the evidence of the prophecies of Christmas. At Christmas we sing a lot about peace. We talk a lot about peace. Many people don't have peace. Peace with God or the peace of God. Stories told by Dr. Truitt, the great preacher of years gone by, that a young man got under conviction and because he, he had no peace. Jesus said, you remember, the angel said about Jesus coming, and there should be peace on earth. Not that the earth itself is going to be at peace with all the nations, because that hasn't happened yet. It will happen in the millennial kingdom, but not before. But in the world, the people who are living in the world can have personal peace. So this young man came to Dr. Truett and said, said, Dr. Truett, what can I do? What can I do to find peace? Dr. Truett said, I'm sorry. It's too late. And the boy was devastated. He said, you mean it's too late for me to have forgiveness of sin? And he said, no. Oh, not at all. I mean, it's too late for you to do anything. Jesus did it all. He did it all on the cross when he cried out, It is finished. The payment was made in full. You and I simply believe, receive, and enter into the benefit of what Jesus did on the cross. Be sure you've trusted Christ and Christ alone in this holiday season. And be sure you're walking with him and if, you're, if you are saved, then seek, seek his, his peace. There's peace with God. I know I talked about that last week, but there's also the peace of God, tranquility of soul he wants you to have all during this season when we sing so much about peace. Bow with me, please, if you would. Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I, I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven. Pray for me. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hand up right now and let me pray for you? Nobody will come to you, of course, or anything like that. Would you slip your hand up and let me pray for you? Anyone like that? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this. Just, just, just between you and the Lord, I wonder how many would say, Lord Jesus, I really don't have your peace in my heart and soul. I really don't have that tranquility of soul and heart that I think you want me to have. Teach me. Teach me, Lord, to trust you for that peace. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable for us. Thank you for the great prophecies of the Old Testament that tell about your first coming, Lord Jesus, but they also tell about your second coming. 
seven times more prophecies concerning the second coming. You're coming again to fulfill all the details of that prophecy like you came the first time. We celebrate today that you're coming, your love, your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. The words are on the